0: So the writer of that song, Chasing Cars, said he wrote that song after coming off a white wine binge. Seriously, have you ever heard those three words in combination? A white, he also had too much cheese. I mean, seriously, a white wine binge. Nonetheless, he came off a white wine binge and he had two thoughts. One was, we're all like dogs chasing cars and what would a dog do if he ever caught it? If you have a dog, you know they're stupid. I, 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 shouldn't, I should only speak for my dog. My dog is stupid. My dog does lots of things with no point and no purpose. He just does them. No one knows why. I'm pretty sure he doesn't know why. You watch a jo- dog chase a car, what will it do if it gets it? It has no idea. It's just going to chase the car. And so he was, he, what he was saying was like, you know, we're, we're like dogs chasing cars. We're running around urgent. We don't even know what we'd do if we got the thing we're running after. And so his response was, Let's just watch everybody else chase cars. Let's just forget this maddening pace of urgency and just, we'll just sit back and do nothing. I've got to be honest. There are times when that sounds very appealing. We live in a culture where we stress so many things and the pace of life gets faster and faster and the more technology we get, the faster it gets and convenience doesn't seem to help us at all. We just keep moving really fast. And we have this vague sense that perhaps the things we're racing after are not that important, but we can't seem to stop racing after them. And so there's something about that <laughs> that's kind of appealing. Yet, <clears throat> nonetheless, there is a, something else which is true. And that is this. There actually are things that are urgent. Like I said, I think we miss what they are, quite honestly. I'm going to talk to you more about that later. I think we often miss what the actual urgent thing is, but there actually are things that that are urgent, and one of them is the simple truth that we expire. You and I have a limited span of life. It requires, it would seem, some action in the midst. Thursday morning... 2 a.m., my mother died. She was 83 years old. That seems like plenty, right? And yet, expecting it for weeks when I got a call in the middle of the night from hospice when the phone rang, I swore because I knew who was calling me in the middle of the night. And I answered, and they said, Bruce, your mother has died. I said, okay. Nan and I got up, drove over to my father's apartment to wake him up and tell him that his wife of 64 years had just died and bring him up to hospice. We walked in the front door, and hospice has a lovely tradition when it's not yours. And there's a candle in the hallway that's lit for the person who dies. And so I walked in the door, and I looked down the hall, and there was the candle lit, and I knew it was for my mom. Walked into her room and she was dead. But hospice, I'll tell you, they do a good job at some things. And one of the things they do well is that they care for people in their end of their life and so they look like themselves. They bathed her every day and they shampooed her hair every day and they combed her hair and they put stuff on her lips. And so as I walked in the room, it was my mom. And uh, just very thin because of how long it had been since she'd eaten and uh, it was about 15 minutes that was uh, i mean honestly it was pretty uh, I, i'm I, i'm glad i had it i'm glad i had it even though i know she's gone i'm you know i'm sort of academic not emotional so i know she's gone but it was still it felt like there was my mom there and so and she's gone And I can say anything I want about she was 83 years old and my dad had 64 years with her and I had wonderful years with my mom and she's still gone. And it hit me in a way that most things don't that uh, I prefer not to squander my life. And that if all this crazy rush after what we think is urgent. There actually are some urgent things, and those urgent things are people. We expire. We have a defined span of life. It will come, and it will go, and it demands our attention. Truth is, if you look through the Bible, I I know, look, I'm in the older range in the room. I understand that. And uh, if you're 20, 24, What you're thinking is, I'm sure that's hard, but I'm 24. 18-year-olds don't think they expire. 24-year-olds theoretically know they do. (laughs) But honestly, I was your age. I mean, it's so far away. It is. For most of you, it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to say something stupid like, well, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Well, of course not, but who knows that, and that's really silly anyway. For most of you, the end of your life and, honestly, the end of people you care about is, is probably a ways away. I understand that. I understand how distant it feels. Well, here's what's interesting. If you go through the Bible, we believe the Bible, warehouses warehouse, is the true story of God's pursuit of humanity. It is how God reveals himself to us and calls him to himself. And in the midst of that, for some reason, he speaks a great deal about eternity and about the span of our lives. It seems in this, honestly, for everything about human history and God's pursuit of us, a relatively short book book that God seems to think is extremely important for you or I, whether we're 12, 18, 24, 50, or 80, to understand the span of our lives and the importance of facing eternity. And here is one passage. I'm going to read to you from a psalm, Psalm 39. The psalms are, are songs, and this was written by David, who was the king of Israel, ancient Israel, and he was a songwriter. And this is what he writes <clears throat> I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin, I will put a muzzle on my mouth as long as the wicked are in my presence. When I, when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand breath. The span of years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. And then, in most translations, there's a word there that's off to the side, and it, the word is selah. No one knows exactly what it means. It seems to be a technical um, construct within uh, songwriting in in ancient times. But most believe what it means is pause. And it's used as a way to say, I think we probably need to stop and think about that for a moment. And so at this point, at the end, when when David said, each man's life is but a breath, Selah, pause. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. I love so many things about this passage. I really do. One of the things I love about it is how honest it is. Here's what this... Most of the Psalms, if you read them, they are very nitty gritty. It's like they forgot to clean it up. And so in this one what the psalmist David appears to be saying in the first couple of verses is, okay, something is really bothering me, but I can't say it. I don't want to say it out loud. I don't want to articulate what I'm really thinking and feeling because it seems wrong to do so. What would other people think if I said it? What would those who are not believers like I am think if I said the real doubts and the concerns and the fears that I have within me? And so he shuts his mouth. And in shutting his mouth, he said, I can't even speak what is good because he's being so careful not to say or think or feel the wrong thing. This is something at Warehouse that we feel strongly about. It is okay to say or think or feel the wrong thing. It's okay to wonder and it's okay to have doubts and it's okay to have questions and it's okay to have fears and it's okay, in fact, it's really better to articulate them because if we bury them under this gaze of I'll just be religious and I'll say the right thing and do the right thing, it doesn't go away. And the truth is, then we live with a very superficial faith that has nothing to do with our actual life. But when we face the things we actually wonder about, the doubts we have, the concerns we have, well, then in the midst of that, we actually find deeper, more profound answers for our life. And so what David says is, I don't, I don't want to say, he's going through the motions. Can you just feel it? In the next verse, he says, even when I meditated, my heart burned within me. It's like okay. Even when I'm praying, I'm sitting here, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, and yet within me there's this fire burning of questioning and wondering. And then finally, it's too much, and he just speaks, and he says, "Show me, O Lord, the end of my life's and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting my life, how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere handbreadth." The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. You know, honestly, I'm not a good reader. But when you read that, can you imagine it's not, it's not. Show me, O Lord, the length of my days. They seem so short. And my life is but a breath. Cassandra says, God, why is life like this? Why is it so short? Why does it end? Why is there death? I, when my mom died, a verse came to my mind, and it says in First Corinthians fifteen, "Death, where is your sting?" And this is my exact thought. It's exactly where it's always been. My exact thought. I'm not. I'm not whitewashing this for you to make it sound pretty. My exact thought was, "Are you serious?" Where is death's sting? Death's sting is, my mother, who I love, is dead, and I'll never see her in this life again. You know what I mean. You've had people die, and somebody says something to you that sounds nice and spiritual, and in the end you think, where's death's sting? Honestly, it's really obvious where it is. Because death is heartbreaking. Now, I know what Paul means. I, I know what he's getting at. I do. And yet, that's the sort of thing it seems to me the psalmist is saying. God, can you, can you give me a hand here? <laughs> can you explain to me why our life is like a, a breath? Why, why we run around like phantoms? And in his anguish, he simply spills it out, and then he says, now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope's in you. The story of the Bible is this. It's a story of people who were made for God, made for relationship with him, and who were not made to die. The reason why death feels so wrong is because it is. At least according to the Bible, this is not our, our life is not... Well, you're born and you live and you die and it's all part of the natural rhythm. That's not the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is you were born to be connected with God and with one another forever. And death is a bitter and ugly aberration that tears us away from who we were absolutely supposed to be. See, the story of the Bible is that you were created eternal. Death is not what it's supposed to be. There's a passage in the book of Ecclesiastes which is a a book of wisdom literature in the Old Testament, Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says, God has set eternity in our hearts. That somewhere deep down within us, at the real important moments of our life and of death, we stare at things and we think, this is not how it's supposed to be. This strikes against the core of what I believe life ought to be like. This is not rhythm, it's the destruction of Rhythm. early on in the Bible, there's a passage where <clears throat> it's telling the story of people walking away from God, the God who created us for him. And it says, he, God's essentially, don't, don't do it. If you do, you'll die. And not a threat, but a reality. When human beings walked away from God, it began something of death. Death is a, is a Hebrew word that simply means to be cut off. That's all it means. And the idea of it was, when we walk away from God, we cut ourselves off from God and our bodies get cut off from life. And so death entered the world, and we try to somehow figure it out, but in the end, it's irrational and wrong and strikes against the core of who we're supposed to be. For you were made for God. Not for now. Well, yes, for now. Not only for now, but forever. And so... The psalmist writes, God, my hope is in you. Because I'll need to see an answer beyond this. And thankfully, the story of the Bible is a story of a great and deep truth, which is that God has done something in order to span the gap of death. This is why Paul writes, oh, death, where is your sting? To span the gap of life and death and to allow us to live on the other side of death. Francis Schaeffer, it's a Christian philosopher, wrote once: when it comes to ultimate issues, thankfully our options are few. That's good, because with the excess of options, we make bad choices. I'm going to tell you in just a moment what I think the Bible lays out as our options in terms of dealing with eternity. But when it comes to ultimate issues, our options are limited. There's not many. There's a recent study that came out on excessive options. And what it said was that the more options that you have, the more likely you are to both not decide, or if you decide, be unhappy with your choice. The fewer options you have, the more likely you are to make a choice, stick with it, and be happy with it. We live in an era of so many options, it's often difficult to make good, strategic, urgent choices for our lives. There seems to be too many choices, we can't pin it down. I remember feeling this so strongly when Nan and I came back from the Soviet Union. The Soviet Union used to exist. It's now Russia and a bunch of other countries. But the Soviet Union, when we went there in 19-something, 90, maybe, 89. Anyway, it was a while back. When we went there, if we walked into the grocery store in the Soviet Union, you might go in the day where they had bread. Now, they wouldn't have milk that day, but they had bread. Or you'd go on the day where they only had milk and they didn't have bread. If they had bread that day, if you walked in and say, do you have bread today? And they say, yes, we have bread today. And you walked over to the bread aisle, and you know what was there? Bread. Do you know how many choices? There was bread, people. There were no choices. There were loaves of bread. As identical as loaves of baked bread can be. And then I came back to the United States. After three months, it felt like longer. But after three months, I came back to the United States, and I walked into a grocery store, and it was not a Harris Teeter. I don't remember what it was. I walked into the grocery store, and I was at the bread aisle, and I was like, oh my goodness. Seriously, have you been, some of you, you've been to the bread aisle, haven't you? Please tell me you have. There's, there's I mean, uh, there's bread, or try the cereal aisle. I take my dad. He's 85 years old and struggles with dementia. I take him in the cereal aisle, and this is I have to go. Dad. The Cheerios section is here. Here we go. There's the nineteen flavors of Cheerios. Please don't go to the checks and the four hundred flavors of checks. Let's not get involved with Fruit Loops at all, you know? Cheerios. These nineteen. Thankfully, when it comes to important ultimate issues, our options are limited. And seriously, this is what, well, it's, this is what the Bible teaches, but it's also pretty common sense. Jesus said when he came to earth, look, here's the deal. I'm going to do something for you. And if you, you receive it, then you'll be in a relationship with God. And and if you don't choose that, well, you won't, you know, it's like two, would you like a relationship with God now and forever, or would you not? What the Bible pictures is that our lives can be connected with God and then, they, then eternal life essentially begins one way or another. We either choose we're going to live with God or not. You know, like on the other side, it will continue. We will die and our spirits will rise and we will live forever And whatever those two choices we make. And I have no idea. Do not ask me. You can go ahead and ask me. I don't care. I just want to answer. I have no idea what it's going to look like if I choose to live in a relationship with God or not. I don't know. I mean, people talk about heaven, you know, like there's harps and and choirs and robes, and I'm thinking, it's probably the other place. I mean, that doesn't sound all that appealing. I don't think it's like that. The Bible's pretty simple. Jesus says you can enter a life in a relationship with me, or you can choose not to. That's it. There's not a rose of choices with different flavors. Do you want it or do you not? And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to die for you. I'm going to, you got cut off from me. I'm going to forgive you. I'm inviting you back. I'm inviting you back forever. Death is an aberration. I will hurdle it. I will hurdle it for you. I will die and rise again, and I will carry you into the next life, and you will live with me forever. Yes, no. You want it or not? Now, I'm not saying there's not a gray time of trying to figure out do I want it or not. I'm not saying that at all. But in the end, it's do you want it or not? Two options. You see, we go through life thinking certain things are urgent, and they just aren't. And they're actually things that are. And we often confuse them, and that, quite honestly, is the problem. Problem. I don't know why I'm doing so many things with dates, because you know how I am with dates. But a long time ago, in a state far, far away, I started the church in California. And in starting that church in California, it was very important work I was doing, very important. All you had to do was ask me, and I would have told you how important the work that I was doing was in starting that church. And as I started that church in my very important work, at a very inconvenient time, my grandmother, who I loved dearly, who was one of the couple of most formative figures in me entering a relationship with Jesus, who had prayed for me every single day of my life. She died. I, because, did I tell you, I was doing really important stuff. I was too busy to go to her funeral. Nobody else was, because quite honestly, they were not involved as things as important as me. And so I chose not to go to my grandmother's funeral to celebrate and grieve with my family over this woman who had meant the world to me. I did telemarketing. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. Because that was really important. I know what you're thinking. You're an idiot. I get that. I do. I look back in that, and I've had to wander through that regret. But in the end, I mean, what am I going to do? I did a stupid thing because I made the wrong choice about what's urgent. We do that all the time. That's why we're chasing cars. We're making decisions about, oh, this is really urgent. This is really important. It's not. You know what's urgent? You know what's important? You, me, people around us. That's it. And we have an expiration date stamped on us. None of us know the time, none of us know the day, none of us know any of that, but our lives matter. They are precious. And if any of you, and I know a number of you have have watched somebody you care about die, you realize at that moment how precious that life is. And you think about how many things you wish you had done differently. We expire but it doesn't need to end there. And so there's an urgent decision to be made. You see, human beings were made in the image of God, fashioned for him. And so being made in that image, what happens essentially is when we get forgiven in relationship with God, he begins to restore us to ourself. He strips off all of the stuff that ought not be there. And when we emerge on the other side, after years of transformation and reclamation, it is us. It is not some strange being with a harp and with a robe. It's us. Without all the stuff that clung to us in this life that kept us from being who we were supposed to be. Soren Kierkegaard, Danish philosopher, said, Now by the grace of God I shall become myself. That is what God offers you. Your truest self lived in connection with him, with everything false stripped away. The night before my mom died, I read her a verse, which I have no idea if she heard, but I wanted her to hear It is the picture that God gives of life on the other side. And it's in Revelation 21, verse 4, and it says this of, of, of God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. That is God's picture of life on the other side of death. The old order of things has passed away, and we are restored. And all that was artificial and false and never meant to be there, mourning and death and crying and pain, that goes away. And so, quite honestly, you have one of two things that would be urgent in your life today. Just just in this subject, not in all subjects, in the rest of the series we're going to talk about urgent matters of character and of children, and of finances, things that really matter how we live our lives. But just on this one issue of the expiration date of you and I, there are two things that that one of two you ought to be about, quite honestly, if you took it seriously, if it hits at all. And first is, if you have not entered a relationship with God through Jesus, that's an urgent matter. It is about your eternal life and your eternal destiny. It is about the state of your soul. It's about the reclamation of the beauty that, was, that is deep within you, that has never been lost, just covered over. It is the single most urgent matter of your life of reconnecting to the God who will forgive you and make you fully alive and free. And so if you have not done that, Urgently before you, far more urgent, quite honestly, than other things you may have in your plate, is dealing with that and walking through that decision. Here's what I would say to you: If you're going to walk away from it, walk away with your eyes open, having looked at it, having wa- looked at the life of Jesus, having looked at the offer that He makes you, having pl- plunged—that's uh, not the word—something, the depths of your plumbed. Hmm? Yes, thank you, Maury. Plumb the depths of your own soul to the things that wrestle within you, that resonate about eternity and about life and about hope. Wrestle with all that. And then, with your eyes open, if you walk away, okay, I mean, I personally disagree with you. I think it's a bad choice. However, don't not do anything. Do not let your eternal destiny be decided by default because you sat around watching people chasing cars. Face the issue. Wade into it. Ask the questions. Explore it. And then I hope, I hope, come to the place of deciding that, yes, this is for you, and you want to enter into this relationship for which you were made with Jesus Christ. If you've already made that decision, if you're already in that relationship, that quite honestly, just on this topic, not on all topics, just on this topic, one of the things that is urgently before you is the people around you. If this is true, if there's an expiration date in our life, and if eternity waits, and if death is an aberration, then there's an important message here. I- important enough that <clears throat> it probably needs to be lived out in our normal life, not you know, crammed into relationships in some odd and awkward way, but a natural part of our conversation because we care about people, we love them, we see them, and we want the best and the truest of who they are to emerge. These two options are really unescapable. Now, again, in a fast paced society that tends to live for the moment, it's easy to put anything like that off. But think about it if this is a matter of great urgency and real importance, you want to go, you know what, I think I'll live intentionally on purpose for the last 10 minutes of my life. I think that'd be great. What I'm going to do is I'm going to squander the next however many years I get, hopefully get a wake-up call right before the end, and then I'll live really intentionally about urgent matters in those last 10 minutes. That's a good plan, right? Nobody says that out loud, but we live that way. We live as if today doesn't matter at all. We'll get through it later. Sure, life, death, eternity, joy, peace, happiness, despair. Sure, I should get to that later. Live today for what matters most. Let's pray. Lord, you are good and you are gracious and not in some soft and... Ethereal, religious sort of way, but in divesting yourself of deity, entering space and time, walking roads that we walk and living the lives that we live and doing it all so that you could pay a penalty for us and hurdle a, a jump we can't without you. We want to make the most of that. Live fully engaged to you, engaged with you, and engaged with the people around us. Lord, by your grace, help us today to live for what matters with great, great joy and great passion and with great love and great hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, as we move into our time of response, we do it with our offering, which is a way for us to articulate in a tangible way that God has moved into our lives. He has reached out to us, and out of that we respond back to him and to the world.